Hey, um, I just want to begin by saying um, there are a lot of churches, especially since we are in this Zoom world, there's a lot of churches that you um, could log on and uh, participate in worship and hear a great message. But I just want to say that Bay Marin is the only church, I can guarantee we are the only church that in a Zoom service uses the phrase um, uh, disco fantastic. fantastic. There, there's nobody else using that phrase. So um, that that may be what what draws people in. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. I am uh, I'm looking forward to blues and brews. I got to go to the one last year in person, uh, which was great. Uh, but Rebecca, I love that idea of uh, using that as a way to also build some relationships with our neighbors. Um, so uh, today we begin our study of Colossians and it's titled Uncommonville moving on from normal. Uh, there's a, a, a book resource that goes with it. Um, it's available via um, Dropbox and you could email me for a PDF. You could also uh, stop by the student center here. It's on the porch. I've got a few copies there. Um, you can just stop by when you're free to stop by and grab a copy. Um, it's good for personal reflection and also if you're a part of a group, it's so it's a way for you to um, kind of prepare for what what your group discussions will be about. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is look at the first few verses of Colossians that reveal this the role that we play in transforming our city into Uncommonville. Now, here's what I mean by Uncommonville. Um, uncommonville uh, is any city or community or neighborhood where God's heavenly kingdom is manifest here on earth. Uncommonville is a community or city or neighborhood that's shaped by God's stand of blessing and happiness. It's uncommon because it's a place where heaven is made known here on earth. Uh, it's, it, compared to surrounding cities, um, an Uncommonville is out of the ordinary. It's atypical. It's remarkable. Uncommonville can be right here where we call home. But for this to happen, we first acknowledge that God uses common people like us to transform our city. And this is what I want us to think about specifically today, um, how God's plan for where we live does not mean that he's going to recruit some super Christian to your neighborhood um, to do something amazing. Uh, God works through you and through me, through the, our commonness. So if you feel like just your ordinary run-of-the-mill common resident, you are the ideal person to do something uncommonly good and beautiful. So I want us to, to look at the first two verses. We're only going to, it's just going to be kind of a quick peek at um, at the beginning of Colossians. There's some stuff that you can look at uh, in the book that will give you a little bit of background information on on, uh, on Colossae and, and some things like that. But I want to touch on just a couple of things that I hope will really in, inspire us this week. Um, verses 1 and 2 of Colossians 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. 
grace to you and peace from God our Father. So Paul is just writing a letter to a group of people. He's actually never, uh, as far as we know, he was not in Colossae. He is not the one that started the church at Colossae. Um, a man by the name of Epaphras is credited with that. It's someone that Paul led to Christ, but um, he is writing a letter, and as was customary in that time, not just for like a biblical letter, but for any letters, they always started off by introducing themselves. We start off a letter by saying who we're writing to, dear mom, something like that, uh, where in that day they began by introducing themselves and who they were. And so he begins uh, by simply saying, I am Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Um, and he's also including Timothy, his brother. And I want us to, um, to think about how this can apply to us. Let me run through just a couple of things that would have gone through Paul's mind as he is penning this letter. First of all, he's saying he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He an apostle is a spiritual gift. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote to another church about different gifts that people have. And uh, the message paraphrase of what he said reads like this. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. You're familiar with some of the parts that God has formed in his church, which is his body. And then he begins to list them, and he mentions apostles as one of them. So that's one of the gifts. That's, that's his part. But he's saying that we have different parts. So he goes on. He says, um, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but he kind of gives examples. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But it's, and then he continues, but it's obvious now, isn't it, that Christ church is a complete body and not a gigantic unidimensional part? It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues. So he's saying each of us, each person in the church has been uh, gifted with um, a gift, something unique to offer. And then he says, by the will of God, and so he's, he's not really pointing to himself. In fact, he's, he's reflecting, de deflecting that glory. He's saying his gifting is based on the authority of God. His confidence is rooted in the belief that he was doing the work that God created him to do. And then he says, and Timothy, our brother. So as part of Paul's calling to be an apostle, he was constantly discipling. Paul trained an apprentice to grow in the faith and to become a reflection of Jesus. So my spirit-empowered gift may vary from your spirit-empowered gift, but we are all commissioned to make disciples. So why would we take, why would we pause to look at this verse at the beginning? Why not jump right into some meaty stuff about uh, the supremacy of Christ or how we live this out in our day-to-day -day relations? Well, that would be very easy to just fly right past this. But I believe, and this is what I really want you to understand um, this morning, this, this verse is a template for the way forward for our church. Each and every person identifying their God-given gift, every one of us doing our part, no spectators. 
Everybody has a role to play. And then there's no uh, reason for you to hide your gift or to doubt the impact of your gift. Why do I say that? Because it is God's will that you have that gift. It is God's will that you play a key role in bringing heaven to earth and establishing kingdom bubbles, okay, we, or kingdom pods. We, we know what a social bubble or a social pod is. But this is what I want us to think about. Our calling is to establish kingdom pods, places and people known for living by God's definition of blessed and happy. I'm going to give you just a couple of examples of how this is already happening and how we can jump in and be a part of this. And I want this to help form in your mind what Uncommonville could look like specifically for you. Um, we've, we just got done um, hearing about Barbara Sabito and her role in Marin Foster Care. Now, her role is not simply that of director. She has a spiritual gift, a spiritual empowered gifting that has created a kingdom pod for children in the foster care system and supporting parents of kids in the foster care system. It is a beautiful kingdom pod. It is God's love in heaven being made known here on earth. Um, you know, I was thinking um, also of Matt uh, Crick and Brian Kaplan and their gifts have been visible in the kingdom pod of building friendships with guys who love beer and who ask curious questions about Jesus. And they've been meeting on a weekly basis or on a consistent basis outside and um, just enjoying time together, enjoying a beer, and then just to uh, make create a space for, for guys to ask questions about Jesus. And there is a kingdom pod that's, that's taking place right there. Christy, you and uh, your adorable little boy are on these calls so often. You have a kingdom pod in your home, raising your son in an environment in which he receives a love like the love of Jesus. Laura, you have a kingdom bubble on Monday nights called Refuge. Ladies are gathering on Zoom and they are experiencing the blessing of vulnerability and trust in a loving and safe environment. It's a kingdom pod. Our college students, you're heading back to school or you're trying to figure out when you can actually head back to school and it's not just to receive an education. I spent some time yesterday with some young adults in our church who uh, they get it, who they know they are gifted and God sent to establish kingdom pods. It's a lot bigger than just what this next step means to them. It's how they can be used by God in something bigger than them. And then Epaphras, who we're going to read about him in this week's uh, daily readings and in, in the book in Commonville, while visiting Ephesus, he was led to a saving faith in Christ by Paul. And then Epaphras went back to his hometown of Colossae and began telling people about God's saving grace. Out of his faithfulness, a church, a kingdom pod, was established. So here's a, a, a question for you. Uh, we're going to use the chat feature on this. So uh, get close to your computer if you can. Um, I want you to type in the name of your city that you live in, or maybe the name of your particular neighborhood or community. Go ahead and do that. 
And as you do, I'll be reading some of those off. Type in the name of your city, your neighborhood, uh, just uh, that, that, that small community maybe where you live. San Rafael, Bret Hart, Point Richmond, Fairfax, San Rafael, Sausalito, San Francisco, Nevado, Santa Venetia, Belmarin Keys, Petaluma, San Marin, Mansfield Place, San Anselmo, Apex, North Carolina, Chapman Park, Santa Venetia, Hidden Valley Lake, Kentfield, Paradise K, Paradise Bay, K. Lincoln Hill, East Terra Linda, um, the Ro Presidio, Rotary Valley, all of these. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine each of those as Uncommonville. And I want to read through some of those names and almost as a prayer. Lord, I pray that these places are places where your kingdom will be made known here. Lord, may your kingdom be known in Hidden Valley Lake as it is in heaven. Lord, may Kentfield become a kingdom pod where your kingdom is known. Lord, I pray for Lincoln Hill and East Harolinda, for Rotary Valley, for the Presidio, for the downtown West End in San Rafael, I pray that these would become Uncommonvilles, that they would be renamed in a way that bring glory to you because those are places where your kingdom is being manifest, where your love is being lived out here on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine if each of these were kingdom bubbles. And what if they began to take on the characteristics of Uncommonville? This is what I'm talking about. People who have been given a gift by God and for God. People who recognize that they can move forward with confidence because God has given the, them the authority to use that gift and they can do this while discipling others and they can bring the kingdom of heaven into this earth, this very common smoke-filled earth right now for something beautiful and uncommon to take place. But I want us to know that it begins with the change in identity not a change in the identity of our city or our neighborhoods. It begins with a change in identity for us, an inwardly renovated heart. See, what Paul did, he was an apostle by the will of God, but before he was an apostle, he entered into this process of being a changed person, Paul. He was a changed man. And you may be familiar with his story. See, he wasn't always Paul. He definitely was not always this great apostle Paul. And, but more than just a name change from Saul to Paul, there was an internal shift that took root. As we talked about for the past three Sundays, um, 
Paul's heart. Remember us talking about the heart, the decision-making center of our being? Well, Paul's heart, the decision-making center of his being, was renovated and reshaped. How was Paul's heart renovated? It was by the renewing of his mind, his thoughts, and his feelings. Romans 12, 2, again, we looked at this in, just in the last couple of weeks. This was uh, not just something that Paul wrote. It was something he himself had encountered firsthand. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, of your thoughts and your feelings and those images that are in your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. You see, about the same time Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Saul was born in Tarsus in Asia Minor. Saul was born a Jew. He was raised in a Jewish home and adhered strictly to the law. And the Jews back then were not known just for, uh, uh, were known not just for being God's chosen people, but for being kind of exclusionary. The Jews up to that point of Jesus, they were not missional. Uh, they were not concerned with sharing their God with the rest of the world. In fact, they did not see the Gentile world as deserving of their good God. Saul was trained in excellent schools, and he was taught to be a passionate defender of the law and to disassociate with Gentiles and to punish anyone who was not um, obedient to the law. So when people began following Jesus as the Messiah, see, they were not referred to as Christians as much as they were referred to as followers of the way. And Saul persecuted followers of the way. And we first read Saul's name in Acts chapter 8. In Acts 7, it details this strong and bold and uncompromising testimony by a young follower of the way named Stephen. Stephen was martyred that day. He was stoned to death. And Acts 8 begins with what might seem like a footnote, just a really small sentence, but it's a foreshadowing. Acts 8.1 says, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. In Acts 9, a couple chapters over, it opens with more commentary on Saul. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he brought them bound to Jerusalem. And then that chapter goes on to describe Saul's radical conversion experience. Blinded by a bright light and hearing the voice of Jesus from heaven, he falls on his face in submission, and, Paul, and Saul repented. Saul, temporarily blinded, actually had a new way of looking at God and the people he loved. And Saul was eventually given a new name of Paul. No longer the murdering Saul, no longer the prejudiced Saul, no longer the arrogant Saul, no longer the man who saw salvation as a result of a works-based, performance-based religion, religion. Paul was a man changed by God's grace. He was a man who was transformed from a prejudiced man to a missionary known for starting a movement called Gentile Lives Matter. It's not exactly what it was called, but I'm telling you, there was a radical shift in Paul's life. 
And here's the key that I, I point that I want to make. Salvation is a life-changing encounter. Salvation is not just somebody saying a prayer so that they can rest assured that someday they're going to go to heaven. Salvation is a whole life encounter. And it may not mean that you change your job or where you live, but it will lead to a change in your priorities, your goals, your ambitions, your desires, the object of your thoughts, the way you view and treat the people around you, the way you view and treat yourself. Naomi and I were talking yesterday and she made such a great point. I wanna share this with you. She said that Christianity is not a religion, it's a way of life. And I couldn't agree more. That's what I mean. It's, it's this whole life encounter. It is a way of life. To follow Jesus is to encounter the blessed life of Christ in literally every aspect of your life. And this new way of living begins with internal shifts of our heart, the decision-making center. Life change is a big deal to God, but outward life change happens indirectly as a result of those interchanges. Addressing the dimensions of our inner being was the focus of those previous three Sundays that we've had together. As God transforms our inner thoughts and feelings, as our thoughts and feelings reshape our will, then there is a visible and tangible outward expression of our faith in God and kingdom pods are established. And if you look at your life and you don't notice changes, it might be worth asking yourself why your life hasn't changed. Or maybe, and I've encountered a bunch of these seasons where I've noticed well, my life hasn't continued to change. Any and all changes, the radical shifts within us are by God's grace. We are saved by grace and our lives are being transformed by God's ongoing graces. Paul was a changed man. No longer Saul, by the grace of God, Paul. And that's how we start this letter, remembering that it's all about God's grace. Let me tell you a little bit of my story. And I know you have a story that's really similar. And I, I think it's important, just as Paul shared his story, I'm gonna share you a, a little bit of mine. We need to hear each other's stories. And in my story, you've, you've had an opportunity to hear in bits and pieces. Uh, I just wanna say I'm a work in progress. Some people will say I'm a piece of work. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I'm sure they mean it really in the best sense of the word. Um, no, I have always been a work in progress. Um, and I've honestly, I, I'm astounded by God's persistent grace shown to me. I have, I've said uh, for years that God has really long arms because he is constantly reaching way down to the places that I find myself and in his grace pulling me back up. Uh, as some of you know, I not only went to seminary, but at one point I was dismissed from seminary. Um, I never felt good enough for seminary. Uh, I struggled with even telling people I was a Christian because I didn't think the way I was living was good for God's reputation. Um, I'd try to be good, but it just didn't feel like I was good enough. And it was when I was at seminary that I just kind of quit trying to be good. It didn't have anything really to do with seminary. It just happened to be where I was. 
See, I had this false narrative running in my head that God was hugely disappointed with me and there was just no way that he still loved me. So it mattered. It resulted in how I acted and misbehaved. I was, I was making stupid choices. I knew that what I was doing um, at the time was wrong. And the things, uh, the things I was doing were fun, but they were harmful to me and the people around me. I heard somebody say the other day um, that if you sin, but it isn't fun, you aren't doing it right, which I, I just think that's, that's so true. Um, I was sinning. To be honest, I was having fun. But at the same time, I was miserable, just broken inside. And then I was introduced to God's grace. And it wasn't like I had never heard the term grace before, but I'd never really opened myself up and humbled myself to receive God's grace. And it was a game changer for me. And a lot began happening around me. And one thing was I petitioned to be allowed back into the same seminary that dismissed me. I had to go before a panel of seminary staff and faculty. They asked me a bunch of questions and uh, they sent me out of the room as they continued to discuss things. They called me back in the room and I was thrilled when they said, um, we will have you back. And a short time later, I'm sitting in my first class back at seminary after being dismissed and the professor calls roll and she uh, asks us to respond by saying here and then to let her know uh, after she said our full name, what, what do we want to be what would she like us to uh, to be called by? So the professor, you know, gets to my name, calls my name, and I couldn't say anything. I opened my mouth and couldn't get any words to come out because I was so choked up. I was overwhelmed by the God of yet another chance. I couldn't believe that he loved me and was letting me give that a go again. I was blown away by the grace of God. I ended up going up after the class to say, hey, I just want you to know, um, to, I said to the professor, hey, I just want you to know I, I'm here. Uh, I couldn't quite get my name out, but you can call me Gary. And the whole time, uh, I'm just fighting back the tears again. Yeah, I wonder if when Paul wrote letters that began with his new name, if he was overwhelmed by the grace of God. It wouldn't surprise me if Paul got choked up thinking about the gracious, gracious changes that came about in his life. So with that in mind, let's go back and read these couple of verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And this is the way I imagine it. But maybe instead of a comma, it was a watermark. <laughs> a dried tear, and he regains his composure, he collects his thoughts, and he can think of no better thing to write at the beginning of his letter than this, grace to you and peace from God our Father. I want us to celebrate this time of communion, and I do mean celebrate, because it is by God's grace that we can remember um, his gracious love shown for us on the cross. Um, another name for communion is the Eucharist. 
the Eucharist. The Greek word for grace is charis. In other words, it's, it's a root word that's found in Eucharist. It literally means to give thanks, to be grateful. What are we giving thanks? What are we grateful for? We are grateful for God's charis, for God's grace. We give thanks for God's grace shown to us in the saving work of Christ on the cross. So take those elements and let's remember that meal, that sacred meal. Jesus broke the bread and partake with me. He said, this is my body offered for you. As often as you eat this bread, remember me. And this is the covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as you drink this cup, remember me. Father, we thank you so much for grace. Lord, maybe we're moved to tears as we think about uh, just the transformation that we've experienced because of your love for us. Maybe we're moved to shouts of joy. Um, Lord, you have done something so good to us through this uncommon, uncommonly amazing gift of grace. And we say thank you. Lord, may we sing with a renewed passion as we remember this grace that wells up within us, that leads to us using our gifts so that your heaven and your heavenly plans are made known here on earth. Amen.